I'm Jay Pitts, a real estate broker, agent, leader, and investor. For the last decade, I've navigated the craziest of real estate markets this country has ever seen, selling over 2,000 homes, moving in and out of markets, always ahead of the curve. And now I'm bringing that perspective to you. This is your resource, and Real Talk About Real Estate starts right now. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Resource, Real Talk About Real Estate. I'm Jay Pitts. I'm here in the studio with my confidant, Gabe Pruitt. How's it going? It's going fantastic, man. You know, I couldn't be happier to talk about today's topic. Our fourth episode, you know, we're kind of getting the hang of this thing. And we're here today to talk to you about millennials. Everyone's favorite topic. Everyone's favorite, especially non-millennials. If you read Business Insider, Forbes, Inman, anything at all that has to do with business, everyone likes to talk about millennials, I think. I mean, talk or complain? Uh, so I, that's a good point because I feel like it's all complaining. There's a lot of complaining. I have to say that uh, millennials seem to be the most uh, insulted Yeah, I'm yet generation. to see an article that says, thank you, millennials, for filling Being the awesome. Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> it might just be me, though. So, so we're, we're here today to talk to you all about millennials and how it pertains to real estate, the real estate market nationwide. Um, they move the needle, Gabe. Sure. They move the needle. Whether it's good or bad conversation, whatever we... I mean, I think millennials hold certainly a higher opinion of themselves than maybe the the other generations in their analysis. Let's go ahead and be careful now at the beginning of the episode to avoid rampant generalizations. I'm just saying that millennials have to hold a higher opinion of themselves because the opinion held by the other generations with, in a generalized way, to your point, it's not very high. Yeah, they got to be on defense. I haven't heard anybody, like you said, I haven't heard anybody say thank you, millennials. Sure. So anyway, yeah, that's. Um, I think it's safe to say the millennials hold a slightly different opinion of themselves than the, than the widely held generalizations. Definitely. But today we specifically want to talk about how millennials affect real estate because out of all the things that people have either issues with or just positions on how millennials change the world around them, real estate is one of the ones where they actually do have a big dent. And we need to talk about how that affects you know, not only the millennial consumer, but also people in the industry because you kind of have to change to keep up. I think that's what we've discussed recently. Well, if you don't, if you're not equipped to work with millennials, then you're not equipped to be in this business. Well, I want to, I want to touch that. I'm going to ask you about being equipped, but first of all, why do you think millennials are such a hot topic in real estate in general? Why, you know, why do they get talked about so much more than other generations have been talked about in the past? It's a fair question. And I, I've got a very direct answer for that. There's a couple of dynamics at play. Number one, the millennials are the children, generally speaking, of the first anomaly generation, the anomaly, anomaly generation that, that was the baby boomers. Okay. Okay. Six, roughly 60, what, 60, 65 million baby boomers, okay, um, have produced roughly 60 to 65 million millennial children. Okay. So, so just sheer numbers. Baby boomers move the needle, millennials move the needle, and their relationship between one another. So your boomers are exiting their peak earning years as millennials are moving into adulthood. And I think it's fair to say that boomers favor their children 
and that dynamic has a play. So sheer numbers and their relationship to sheer numbers. Is that is that it does making yeah. any sense? And we talked about numbers last week because I think everybody, whether you know the stats or not, realizes that millennials make up a huge part of the buying population in the real estate world. But one of the common mis- missed points is that millennials are more and more millennials are sellers, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Absolutely. So I can quote you statistics here. We say we don't quote statistics. We don't quote statistics we, on this show. We quote more statistics for people <laughs> who don't quote statistics. We don't speak in absolutes. It's kind of hard to say over and over the word statistics. Anyway, I have hard stats on this. And some of our listeners, those that fall on the probably Zillow maligning side of our audience base that we discussed in episode one might not might cringe when they hear, when they hear this, but Zillow commissioned a study into how the generations fit into the real estate equation. It, it is called the Consumer Housing Trends Report. Okay. okay? And it, this is not Zillow. This is the... the Zillow just commissioned this? This is, is the said? think tank that they commissioned, com- okay. came up with these statistics. Like Swainpole from, from last like, week. Like Swainpole, absolutely. So basically, w- what this 2016 study says is that millennials comprise 42% of all buyers in the marketplace. So that's obviously significant. Probably more surprising to your point, Gabe, is they comprise 26% of all sellers. So roughly one in four sellers is a millennial, which you may be thinking the whole millennial in your mind, as you think about them, as they pertain to real estate, first time buyer, like that's Mm -hmm. a buzzword, right? They're also first time sellers, which I think is something really important to understand. If you're a real estate professional, teaching a millennial how to navigate the seller's market. And it seems like if if that many millennials are already sellers, does that indicate some sort of trend where millennials just don't own houses for as long as other generations have? Because I'm 25, I'm in the middle of the millennial range, and I've only been a homeowner for a year. I couldn't imagine being a seller already. So, so the averages go back and forth the market at, at wide. Some say five, some say seven years is the average span of time anyone lives in a home. Okay. Okay. And I think that, you know, obviously would, would take into account those that, that move after six months and those that live in a home 30 years. And when you combine them, the average kind of weighs out. I think you would probably see, I don't have any statistics to back this up or any studies to back this up, but I think you would see that on average, younger people tend to move more readily. You reach points in your life where changes marriage, parenthood, things like that, jobs become more stable and you are less likely to uproot your life and move to something else. So I think, I think, yes, Gabe, I think what you're going to see is based on the fact that these 65 million millennials, okay, are starting to purchase homes and there are more of them and they're transacting business more, you're going to see people turn over a little bit faster and that number trend downward. So that's why millennials get all of the all of the buzz and all the talk because they're a huge part of the market. And I'm sure probably a pretty lucrative part of the market too. Absolutely. But everyone talks about how millennials need a different experience than you would give to your typical consumer. And we always talk about on the show meeting people, meeting the client where they are, and that's how you get in touch with people. So what, what do you have to do to get to where a millennial is? What do you have to change to be marketable to the millennial generation, I guess? Number one, you have to, you have to understand them. Well, that, well, good luck, right? You have to understand, well, you have to understand maybe that you're not going to understand them. And that translates to respect. You can't just not like their way of life and expect to resonate. It's also foolish to think that all millennials across all people groups, just because they were born in certain years, 
fit into one category or archetype. I think that that might be short-sighted even. It's it's completely short-sighted. There is no archetype. It's just a generation. I mean, we're talking about people that fit into a basket just based on when they were born. That, that's it. But there are some cultural things that they share. There are some cultural things, technological things. I said they. I should say we. Adoptions. Yeah, you should say we. Well, have we determined? Am, am I a we? Oh, I, I am a we. I'm, you yeah, are a we. I'm, I'm, there's I no we? escape from me. That's a good question. Are you... Are you millennial? I remember we called you a fair weather millennial early on for your propensity to tack on all the good qualities about millennials, but shy away from uh, bad millennial stereotypes. So which you know, one is it? You know, this is fun. This is fun. I, can, <laughs> I respect millennials, Gabe. Good start. I respect them. I respect their ability, willingness, desire to be different. Um, I respect their strengths and weaknesses. Okay. And it's hard to say what strengths and we were talking generalizations here and there's no way around that. Okay. But yeah, I think, I think I am. I think I am. Okay. I think I more identify with than without. There are certainly moments where I'm like, wow. Well, I think it's fair in your defense to say that you're on the edge, you know, not I'm, I'm at as on the edge as you can be. Some say the start of the millennial generation is 1983. Okay. Some say 1981. I would be remiss if I didn't say, though, that the 42% of the buyer's market is based on the 1983 number. Oh, wow. Okay. So and even without ta- the two extra If you take years. it to 1981, guess what it goes to? 50? 51%. Wow. So those two years cover 9% of the buyer's market. So my two years, my... My one year above and one year below me. Pretty pretty crazy, right? So, I mean, it, the, the reasoning is clear. Why, why do you want to learn how to market to millennials? Because they make up half of your business. Absolutely. Yeah. So are, are you, do you like money? Do you like <laughs> having question. food with your meals? If this is your job, you've got to sell houses to and for millennials. So people say, we don't understand millennials. We don't know what millennials want. So what's the answer to that question? If you want to be the type of agent that gets more millennial business, what do you have to do? And no, no cliched answers. You know, what do you really see makes you more likable without having to be a millennial? You know, because you can't just change that on the fly. If you're not a millennial, you can't go in reverse on your age. So what can you actually do today to make yourself an agent that millennials will hire? It, it's very simple. If you're a millennial or you're not a millennial, well, if you're not a millennial or you don't look somewhat like a millennial or when within a, a certain age range that they would identify with your your photo, your marketing, your your stuff, right? Your, your what you put out there, what they see. I, I think I think if you're close, if your social media depicts a lifestyle, if your business marketing depicts a way of doing business that I, millennials identify with, I think you certainly get more opportunities. But if you don't, like if you're the forty year veteran and you just want a piece of that pie, it's very simple. You just can't be judgmental. You cannot be judgmental because you're going to get an opportunity. If you're, if you're active in the business, you're going to get an opportunity to serve a millennial. And that can be your starting point. You can't judge them. Okay. You don't have to know what avocado toast is. Like <laughs> I don't have a clue. It's pretty simple. It's avocado on toast. I, I think, I think <laughs> the literal interpretation, I, I don't know the backstory. There you go. For our listeners who didn't know what avocado toast is. It's avocado on toast. Why does it appeal to millennials? Wait, wait, let's let's stay out of the weeds. Sure. Okay. Don't be judgmental. 
don't decide that they're less capable as a buyer or seller than your than other age ranges just because you don't understand them. How about how about we try something like tolerance? Let's be tolerant of the fact that they're different than you. I've got an add-on for this too. One thing to avoid, so that's something to do. As a millennial, I can tell you the biggest thing to get you out of rapport would be trying to falsely assimilate. Don't I don't think trying to learn slang words or what's in and those sort of things, those don't add credibility. It's more important to understand, like you said, that it's about lifestyle. It's about experience. I mean, this is the experience culture, right, that we're talking about. I mean, that's exactly what millennials are looking for is experience. And if you're the type of agent that knows how to deliver it, you're going to resonate. We're going to go take a quick break right now. But when we get back from the break, we're going to talk more in depth about what you can do as an agent game to deliver the experience that millennials are looking for. All right, we're back. So, Jay, I've got a question for you. When we're talking about millennials and and how to reach them and how to resonate with them, we talked before the break about cultivating this experience. What what kind of things do you have to do to bring the experience if you're not a millennial? If you're not a millennial agent or you don't identify, right? I'm I'm, get, I'm catching you there. Identify. If you if you're not if you don't identify as a millennial, if if you feel disconnected, the first thing to understand is that it's about the quote air quotes process, the air quotes process, the yeah. air quotes process or the air quotes experience. And they are looking for one. This is not just buying a house. This is an experience of buying a house that they're going to document. They're going to appreciate. They're going to remember. They're going to talk about it. A custom ornament will go on the Christmas tree. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. So, so they're, they're seeking an experience in everything they do. Home shopping is no different. Home selling is no different. So to deliver that, I think it's about feeling. You need to understand what they're going through. You need to empathize. Okay, you need to you need to appreciate the, the emotions and the range of emotions that they're that they're struggling with. First and foremost, you need to make them feel safe. That's what they're looking for. If you've got 30 years experience, lean into that. Like you've seen it all. Like you can convey to them that this is or is not a big issue because the truth is they may be Googling online what are the biggest pitfalls that you could make in the home purchasing process. Oh, they, they may, are. They may, they may bring that to you. And if you don't empathize in that moment, if you dismiss or you distance yourself, you're going to be, you're going to be really in a disconnect. So help them feel safe, help them feel safe in their decision-making. If you know something about homes, that the, the 23 year old buddy that just got into the real estate business that they have may not know you know, the difference between, you know, laminate hardwood floors and three quarter inch site finished hardwood, right? Like they, you, you get that. That's what you do. Lean into it. I think that's a real good point because like you said, the process almost has this kind of sacred feeling around it. You know, they, they don't want it ruined by somebody that to millennials be, at least. Yeah. To millennials. And they don't want it ruined by someone that could be possibly be taking advantage of them. I think sales aversion is not a millennial thing. Everyone's averse to heavy handed sales, but especially when you're going through a process that takes 30 to 45 days and is the biggest purchase you might make in your life up to this point, you want to make sure someone not only is good at their job, has experience, but also has your best interest at heart and is looking out to protect you. Like you said, from making mistakes. Absolutely. And all that's rooted Gabe in the millennials quest for their own identity. Sure. Okay. 
millennials want to be able to define who they are. That's a generalization, but it's one that I can certainly ad- identify with. And it's something that I have, you know, witnessed in coaching, training, mentoring many millennials in the industry and serving countless millennial clients. This home purchase is a segment of their identity, who they're going to become. Like they may not even know who they are today. They certainly don't know who they're going to become, but they, they have some sort of feeling or idea about the direction they need to be moving. Especially if you're in a city or in a market where different parts of town offer different experiences. We're going back to experiences. I know the kind of life I want to have when I'm buying a house, I want to make sure I'm in an area where I do most of the things I do, not just because my favorite restaurant is there, but because it's the kind of life I want to have. Absolutely. It's a great point. I think that makes a lot of sense too. So everybody, I think is we're not original in trying to pin down what the motivation of a millennial is. Everybody has tried to get to the heart of it, what makes a millennial want to enter the home buying market? Is it getting married? Is it when you get your first big job, your career move? Some people have said when you buy a dog, that's what makes millennials want to buy a house. I read an article about that yesterday. It gave me a good laugh. But part of it's true. I mean, when when your family formation starts to happen, you start to buy a house, and that's not specific to millennials. What you just said is absolutely true, Gabe. And and I think I think a, a point that I think a point that is really important to understand is just the, the awesome amount of buying power, the amount of the, the percentage of the GDP. I'm not going to begin to quote a statistic, but it's huge. We, we just heard, you know, that potentially 51% of the buying market in, in home sales is, is comprised of millennial purchasers. Everyone in industry, in any industry is trying to capture a piece of that market. And so everybody's trying to crack the code, so to speak. But be careful not to identify a millennial for what you think they are. They don't want to be identified. That's the, that, that's, that's the issue they take. Maybe not they don't want to be identified, but they don't want to be categorized and subcategorized into a box. They don't want to be identified by you. There you they go. want to be identified by themselves. So it's hard for us to say what they want and what they don't. You're right. I, I guarantee you people buy houses because of the dog. Hundred percent. Some of the some of the top line criteria I hear from home purchasers that are millennial generation is I got to have a flat backyard. Oh, you know, in years past you might have heard, well, that's for the kids to play. No, no, no. This is so I can let the dog. Got to have a fenced in yard. Got to have the fenced in yard. And do you know a fence guy? Because this doesn't have a fence, but it's got a perfect backyard. You know that kind of thing. I, it's hard to pin them down, Gabe. Well, and the other thing too, I want to pivot a little bit because we talked a lot about how do you serve the millennial client when you have them. We got to go a step farther back from that. How do you get them? What do you do if you're not currently reaching millennials? How do you get a piece of that market and then start to convert at a high level by understanding them? Understanding them is great, but how do you go get them? It's the tried and true, man. It's the tried and true. It's it's millennials are extremely likely to refer. Really, extremely likely to refer. They are huge on so on social proof. So reviews. Reviews have become an extension of a referral. So if you, but if you can get a referral, so I'm going to give you something now. They select because of reviews, but a lot of millennial purchasers and sellers check reviews to validate referrals. So I I don't know if you've ever experienced this and we're going to kind of get a little granular on social media. I had an experience once, Gabe, where we needed to buy a new vacuum. Okay. Okay. I posted on Facebook. Who likes their vacuum? Oh, and Facebook has a feature now where you can look for recommendations. Exactly. Well, yeah. they're they're 
paying attention. Facebook is paying it to Facebook is very smart. I had like 85,000, not literally, but I had a ton of comments. Like people were fighting in my feed. <laughs> people have some strong opinions about vacuums. Is it just vacuums or is it just their opinion? And you know, my age range, I'm right in that millennial, you know, kind of, uh, you know, age range. So quite a few of them were millennials or young Gen Xers. And, and what I would say is they fought in my feed because so-and-so liked the Dyson and this guy liked the Hoover. I mean, it was just crazy how much vitriol they had in support of their own opinions. So what you're saying is people want their opinions to be heard, and that's extra important when you're talking about millennials and how to get in front of them. Absolutely. Like, they validate referrals. They are likely to refer, but they also validate. So you've got to have the social proof to back, to back it up. I mean, that's true about everything. I don't buy anything, watch anything, eat anywhere without reading a review first. No, absolutely. And even if I referred you something, I told you how great it was. You may, it, that may, may make you seek it out. I double check. Yeah. But yeah, you, if it gets a lot of bad reviews, you're not going to take my referral just because I said so. That's a good point. One other thing that we can't afford to skip over when we're talking about millennials this week has got to be the fact that more and more millennials are interested in investing. I think, especially for me, I've noticed clients I'm working with that are my own age are trending less and less first time home buyers and trending more and more people that want to learn how to get into owning rental properties. I mean, do you see that too? Absolutely. Absolutely. I think, I think the tangibility breeds trust. So rather than send their money off to wall street, via a 401k or a traditional IRA, or we all know that like company pensions are pretty much dead. They're looking at real estate as a means for retirement savings. And I think while they're young and they don't mind not having the nicest house that they can afford, they're opting to take those dollars and place them into investments and they're seeing the value of it. I couldn't tell you how many times, Gabe, I've heard, I really want to buy this house and I don't want to go as far as I can, as far as the bank will let me go, because I want to buy this house because it's going to be an awesome rental when I decide to upgrade. Yeah. So it's definitely top of mind, more so than I feel like in previous generations. I feel like the information about how to do it is more accessible too. When we talked about the danger report, we talked about accessibility of information forcing the the gatekeepers of information out and that stuff's on the internet. If you, I mean, you're a couple clicks away from learning how to be a, a real estate investor. Everybody's got an opinion on what works. Okay. What you'll see proliferate for millennials who just by function of the fact that they haven't been working as long and don't have the, you know, liquid income to invest or they don't have the savings, et cetera quite built up yet is you'll see low cost entry investing, which is mainly cash flow plays and kind of long-term trade-ups that you'll see. And and yes, that's a little bit riskier, but they've got a long term. I mean, what do they tell you when you fill out your paperwork at your first job if you're setting up a retirement account? Well, son, you know, it's going to be 75 <laughs> years before you decide to quit working. You can be a little risky with your money, you know, but if you're 55 and you're looking to retire in five years, they tell you to be relatively conservative because they don't want you in short market cycles losing your principal. And it's like you said, too, not only is it it's riskier and they're earlier on in their process where they can take more risk, but it's tangible. You know, you can you can see you can walk through a rental house. You can't exactly walk through a stock portfolio. I, th I think 
I think what you're seeing is less and less tolerance amid, amongst this generation for things that they can't understand or games that can't be complete. When I say a game, like the stock market game, sure. So many rules, so many veils, so many regulations. There are a few that hold all of the information. It's my money. I want my hands on it. They see it as inside baseball. They don't trust the money manager. They don't know who that guy is. Like they trust the guy at Northwestern Mutual that they meet, but they, that's not the guy that's controlling their money. No. That's the guy they choose to, to, to release it to if they choose to invest in the marketplace, you know, in the market, quote unquote. But real estate, they can go put their hands on a brick wall, man. I mean, they, they, the drywall's bad. They can patch it. You know, they can see on Zillow what, Rentals are bringing in the area. They can talk to neighbors. They can do things. They can go see it after dinner. That's good old my dad says. If you can't go see it after dinner, Gabe, you don't need to own it. That's a, I if like you can't that. can't go see it after dinner. So that applies to condos at the beach. Okay. Okay. If you can't go see it after dinner, you don't need to own it. That's good. So clearly, millennials are everywhere in every part of the market and huge. And if you're not harnessing the millennial buyer or seller, then you're missing out on big parts of your business. Millennials rule the world. Millennials rule the world. But before we go too far down the rabbit hole, I want to look at the other side of this coin. What are the dangers of putting all of your eggs in the millennial basket? I mean, are you missing anybody? Well, of course you're missing somebody if you put all of your eggs in the millennial basket. I mean, there's, you know, 58% of buyers out there that are not millennials. There's 74% of sellers out there that are not millennials. Gabe, I think what's important to understand is that these numbers that I'm quoting you, those very significant today, are going to increase. Okay? And I don't think there's as stark a contrast as some may believe between the older millennials you're seeing buying and selling now at large, you know, large percentages and the younger Gen Xers. And I think it's important that you kind of take that maybe Five years, the youngest five years of Gen X and the oldest five years of millennials. And you kind of look at that group because truthfully, the two put together is staggering. It's almost 70% of the total market. So you don't need to open a new office at your brokerage that specifically serves millennials. They're no, not you, that don't need different. To, you don't need to throw a bunch of bean bags on the floor. And, I'm sorry. I'm <laughs> open gener- concept I'm gener- office. Generalizing. You don't need to have beer taps necessarily. Not a terrible you, idea. Not a terrible idea. Only IPAs though, Gabe. Oh man. Only IPAs. Um, no, I, I, it's stereotyping. I love an, a good IPA. I'll be 1000% honest about that. I just, I think you have to pay attention to everyone. One thing I will, I will debunk for you, and this may be something we can go deep into in a later episode, but the, the idea of baby boomer downsizing is completely and utterly debunked. It's really? not happening. They're aging in place. They have different opinions than everyone would have you believe. They don't want to. Maybe they're really the misunderstood generation. They're extremely misunderstood, and they're actually extremely similar to to millennials. Believe it or not, there's a lot of millennials parents. They are the parents. There are a lot of um, there now. Now, don't know if I should go into that, but their their relationship with their kids is very different than their relationship was with their parents, and I think that's on purpose. Sure. Okay. So there, for example, the boomer extends a lot of latitude to their kids that they never extended their parents. So um, neither here nor there, they're very similar. There's a lot of studies that show this, but, but the downsizing is completely debunked. 
completely. It's not happening. I mean, you can just look at it. 70% of the total addressable market is millennial and Gen X. Uh, between 38% of sellers being Gen Xers and 26% of sellers being millennials, there's not a lot of room left for the baby boomer and the silent generation. There's just not, there's not a lot. And you would think there, those have the highest levels of home ownership, silent and baby boomers do, but they don't comprise sellers. So how are you the highest percentage of owners, but not the highest percentage of sellers? Because they're, they're not selling. They're not moving. They're not moving. They're staying where they are. That makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. So that's, that's what you're missing, man. Makes sense. And, and all of this boils down to, to the market is just changing all the time. I mean, the market's always going to be different, you know, next generation or even next decade over decade. And I think we're going to talk about that a little more in depth next week, too. Oh, absolutely. The inevitable coming changes to this great market that we're in right now. Winter is coming, Gabe. Winter is coming. Winter is coming. Game of Thrones action. Well, next time, I think that's exactly what we're going to talk about, is how the market is going to disappear on us. So if you're listening and you know somebody that would benefit from hearing about that, make sure that you're sharing this episode with them. Send them the link. Or just send them a link to our website, which is resourcepodcast.net. You can find all of our previous episodes there and a little bit more information and some links to some stuff that we talked about in today's show. Absolutely. And if you like what we're, what we're doing here, guys, give us some feedback. Write us a review on iTunes. Subscribe. Uh, we're available on SoundCloud as well. We'd love to hear from you guys. I, we're here to provide you with the value you're looking for, and we want to be your resource. Absolutely. Well, join us next time. Winter is coming, Jay, when we come back. Mm-hmm.